The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Welcome once again to the Jason Barrett Podcast. I am, of course, Jason Barrett. Glad to have you here as we examine the world of sports media. We just announced on Tuesday that Premier Network's president, Julie Talbot, will be joining the BSM Summit to accept the Jeff Smullyan Award at our 2023 conference in Los Angeles. The event takes place March 21st and the 22nd at the Galen Center at USC. Tickets and hotel room information can be found online at bsmsummit.com. If you haven't bought a ticket yet, I encourage you to do so. By the time we get to March, there won't be room available, so get out in front of it now. On today's show, I'm looking forward to catching up with VEASAN's Director of Audio Programming, John Goulet. John worked for me in San Francisco at 95.7 The Game, and we each spent time working for ESPN Radio during our careers, although at different times. He also spent time working at Fox Sports Radio with Colin Cowherd, who he also teamed up with in Bristol, Connecticut. I thought it'd be interesting to hear what goes into running a sports betting network and learn about the way content, impact, and growth are measured in the space So that's coming your way in just a little bit. But before we do that, let's dive into this week's edition of What I've Seen or Heard. Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now? Unless you've been in hibernation, you're likely by now aware that Elon Musk has purchased Twitter. The price was steep at $44 billion, and Musk is now tasked with untapping the platform's full potential and making it profitable. To do that, he's going to have to make changes. Some of them may not be popular. Among them, layoffs, which he just installed last week. The Tesla CEO also said there will be other changes coming, including charging customers $8 a month for verification. Most of the time when a new owner comes in, it takes a minute before you know what's going to be different. More times than not, it's a series of small moves, not a complete makeover, unless, of course, a brand or company is in grave danger. But in Twitter's case, it's become our daily newspaper. It's where we go to read stories, see each other's opinions, take part in conversations. It may not have the same amount of users that Facebook or Instagram does, but it updates in real time better than those platforms, and it's become a big part of daily dialogue And of course, the news cycle. So when a new owner takes the reins and announces plans to make changes, it's not a surprise to see people freaking out. If you told me that the platform itself was shutting down or that you'd have to pay per tweet to connect with people, then I would be concerned and questioning how I was going to reach people. But to see so many members of the media lately freaking out over Elon's proposed changes when little has happened yet, is ridiculous. First, 
media members leaving the platform or claiming they're going to exit if Elon allows blocked users back on is foolish. Ask yourself this, why are you on the platform in the first place? It's to build an audience, grow your brand, engage with people who enjoy similar things, and represent the company who's paying you by showing that you're a part of the local sports or news talk conversation. If you leave the platform, how exactly are you helping yourself or your brand? You're not. If less people connect with you and it results in less attention, what do you think that does for you in the future? Here, I'll answer it for you. The people paying you will tune you out the same way that you tuned out the audience on Twitter. Secondly, have you considered how Twitter could improve under new leadership? I have no idea if it will or not. I read the same stories you do, but how much money have you made from the platform directly since you signed on to it? How much is your brand? And I'm not talking about an advertiser who bought endorsements on your radio station and spent a little extra to have you tweet about them. I'm talking about direct compensation from Twitter. Google and YouTube do this for publishers. And though it may not be a fortune, it's added an incentive to produce content there. Musk has said he wants to compensate content creators. How will it work? Will it be much? Will he change his tune? Only time will tell. But as someone who's been on the platform for over a decade, nobody previously running this ship cared enough to reward folks delivering content and audience. Whatever it is he comes up with can't be worse than what's in place right now. Third, the verification process previously was a damn joke. I applied three different times for BSM to be verified and was denied because we were seen as independent. Yet we broke news, featured high-profile events, got credentialed to other big events, and paid established professionals to exclusively write here, generating millions in traffic and generating millions of social media impressions. There was no rhyme or reason for why we were denied, and I heard the same thing from tons of influencers who had large followings. The point that Musk made over the weekend about making sure it was clear you're running a parody account if you're impersonating someone, otherwise you run the risk of suspension, was very fair. If your identity was being compromised, you bet your ass you'd want something done about it. The bottom line, the prior process was an arbitrary one, and it was not good. Will this new system be better? Maybe, maybe not. But to see so many people freaking out over things when most hadn't even been tried yet is ridiculous. Rather than assuming the worst, let's give it time and see what happens. I believe I said that when Get Up launched and everyone was freaking out. I also said it after Tony Romo got hired and hadn't called the game and everyone was saying he wouldn't be a good fit. If you're not a fan of verification, don't pay for it. You could still insist and engage on Twitter without it. Lastly, I don't think all of Twitter thinks this way, but I thought it was interesting. I noticed at least 15 to 20 sports media members flipping out last week about the future of Twitter, the $8 a month charge, and the way the rules will change under Musk, and all were similar in their political leanings. I know that because I've used the platform before and followed them when they were expressing their points of view. For me, I could care less how anyone votes or who they support and who they don't like. I think a lot of people in our business get way too worked up over noise 
that has little impact on their day-to-day lives. But when I see a trend developing, I can't help but wonder, is this really about Musk's vision and the way it may cost more to use Twitter, or is this really about politics and Donald Trump returning to the platform? Whether he does or doesn't makes no difference to me. I'm on the platform to share information, connect with friends and industry professionals, read content that I find interesting, learn what others do and don't value, and enjoy dialogue. If something is a time suck or too negative, the mute and block buttons work great. Do I want to see Nazis, Al-Qaeda, or other groups using the platform to spread hatred, lies, and threaten harm to others? Of course not. That's where Musk is going to be challenged. You can want the best for humanity and wish to make the rules equal for all, but though that sounds nice, it's not realistic because some humans have no interest in following them. Those who wish to use the platform for personal or professional gain or to do harm to others will, and that's where Elon's going to have to make some tough calls. That being said, I'm rooting for Twitter. I want to see it survive and thrive. But this should be a great reminder for brands of why it's vital to be known for your over-the-air product, your website, your newsletter, your video, your podcasts, and your social media. If your brand gets instantly damaged, it means you were too dependent on one platform. Twitter is a great platform. It's proven its importance to the sports and news media industries for years now. Maybe it gets overvalued to a degree, but there's no doubt that it produces impact. To have it ruined or no longer available would hurt our business, certainly a lot more than Elon Musk changing the rules, charging for verification, or allowing some people back on who were turned away by the previous regime. Well done, sir. I'm sure you have thoughts on the Twitter saga too, and if you wish to discuss them, you can find me on the socials or you can email me, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com. But let's move ahead and get ready for this week's conversation. My guest today is VEASAN's Director of Audio Programming, John Goulet. John has been involved with the Las Vegas sports betting brand since February 2021, following two stints in national sports radio at ESPN and Fox Sports Radio. He also spent a few years working for me in the Bay Area at 95.7 The Game. Running a daily operation focused on sports betting content is different and it requires focusing on a lot of different areas especially when you're with a group that is still new growing and focusing on being known for more than just radio and podcast i thought folks in the industry would find this interesting so without further ado here's my chat with john goulet yo listen all right goulet so it's been almost two years since you've been with VEASAN. You got in there in February 2021. This is a brand for those listening that focuses on sports betting content. But you guys have a footprint in more than just radio. You're in television. You're in podcasts, social media, newsletters, the web, subscription business. So there's a lot, obviously, going on, and you don't have to control all of that, thank God. What does a normal day in your world consist of? Ooh, uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, a lot of meetings that involve a lot of those things. <laughs> um, you know, it still has a little bit of that everybody pitches in kind of mentality, um, which I like. I, I, I'm someone that's, you know, staying in lanes is fun, but getting stuff done is is kind of how I like to operate. 
Um, so typical day, it, it changes a lot. There can be days where we're having, we're dealing more with future planning. There can be days where we're focused on, I'm completely focused on the audio feed and I handle a lot of the production for, you know, a lot of our spots and stuff. So I'll focus on that. Um, a lot of it can be, you know, a big promotion that we're doing, a big betting contest or something like that. Some days we'll come in and uh, Bill Aidy, our, our COO, will, all right, how do we promote our college basketball betting guide more? So we'll all kind of work together on, okay, I can make this promo. We can do this on the air. We can have this guest be on this show. So it changes a lot day to day and, and season to season. I, it's, I certainly don't have a typical program director job, um, you know, like, like you, you've had and a lot of people listening have probably had. But in some ways, I, I kind of like the the different challenges that that creates. You know, I, I get to work on visual issues and uh, uh, TV issues and podcast issues and all all the like. Some of this, too, you worked with Colin Cowherd. He was on radio. He was on TV. He had podcasts. So some of this kind of bleeds together, even though the content obviously is different. How is this different, though, from working on a national radio show every day, aside from the fact that, you have a lot more responsibility and a lot more people to, you know, report to. You're not just on one show. Well, I, I think the big difference is, you know, one of our goals is trying to create awareness. You know, I, I didn't have to promote, hey, there's this guy called Colin Cowherd and he does a show every day, you know, not to sound smug, but I mean, most people, most people are very aware of who he is. So that was far more about how do we create something? How do we have him say something that lands? How do we make sure that this is the best content possible right so we you know we'd spend 20 30 minutes working on one segment of you know one of 12 segments in a day um here it's far more about awareness so it's uh, not that you don't obviously care about the quality of your content you do but there's less of a deep dive on an individual segment and it's more about how do we put something really good together and unique how do we get that out to people how do we promote this on social can we send this to an affiliate you know it's about trying to create that awareness and there's a lot more time spent and on, or at least from my standpoint of, if I've never heard of VEASAN, what can I put out there that would make someone want to check us out more, become a subscriber, listen to our stuff for free, all those kind of things. Whereas with Colin, it's how do I make this really land, you know, with our, with our fan base. This is obviously a new space and your role is new. It wasn't like there was a surplus of program directors running sports betting channels when you yeah. when you got this job. What was that interview process like? How do you prove that you can do it when you haven't had this exist? It was interesting. I, I think I was probably a little bit of a long shot for the job. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not the worst interviewer in the world. Um, I think the the main thing for me was. I knew that there wasn't, there hadn't been a program director. So I wasn't looking at the content as like, okay, here's what I can do to improve it over the last guy. It was more about, here's why you should hire this position in the first place. Cause there was in the back of my mind, I was going, you know, they could just decide like, yeah, we don't need one of these guys. They don't know anything. So here's why you need this role. And here's what I can bring to the table. And I think I also didn't have to go with the constraints of, okay, program directors need to know X, Y, and Z. I could look at it as just, here's what I can bring. I can do all kinds of stuff because like I said, my job is not completely a normal program director. I do a lot of things that I think program directors and your you know typical radio stations or networks would do, but I do a lot of other things that 
would either be above or beneath that because that there wasn't a carved out role for here's what you should be doing on a day-to-day basis. It was kind of, all right, what can you do for us? So if that's uh, editing promos, reviewing content, coming, you know, putting together our radio playlist. So I just wanted to show them like, first of all, I love sports bettings and I love broadcasting. So I'm the perfect guy for this job. And secondly, I can do all of these things, whether you thought that's what a program director did or not. Talk to me about comfortability, confidence, because, you know, when you're going into a role that didn't exist, there's no model to say this is what you should be doing, which means you're going to have to just feel things out, get to know people, see what sticks. A decision you make may not land the first time because it's never been done. How long did it take you? before you felt like, all right, I got a handle on what I'm doing and what I should be doing here. That's actually going to benefit the company and not just be a waste of time. The role that I have and the things that I do has been evolving and changing since I got here. And I like it that way. Um, one of the reasons I, I wanted this job is because I was very comfortable doing what I was doing. You know, I had been producing Colin um, you know, I did a couple of years at ESPN and then, uh, in between I worked for you for a little bit and then I went back to console, you know, I was very comfortable. It was a daily routine, right? I knew exactly what I was doing at, at every, every minute of the day. And so I kind of liked being uncomfortable. I liked being nervous that, Hey, I've never done this before and they've never had this job before. So it took probably a while for me to really, you know, maybe if six months to kind of get a groove. And even since then, I'm, I'm still, un, I don't want to say uncomfortable, but there are still things that are challenging to me. And I, I want that. I like that. I don't know as much about YouTube. I got to learn about what to optimize on YouTube. I have to learn some of our graphic process. You know, I, I had worked, Colin show was on TV, but I didn't handle some of the graphic stuff. Now, some of that I have to handle. And I, I like that. I like that. I, I can go to people and talk to them about, well, okay, this didn't work. Tell me why, what can I learn about this? I'm someone that wants to learn new things and and be challenged in different ways. So it took me a little while. And then um, even as I kind of, you get your footing, you know, things change, right? A couple months after I was in here, we got purchased by DraftKings. So there yep. were some new things that came along with that. And then a little while after that, you know, we brought in a new GM that had some, which is, it's fantastic, but there, there are new challenges with that and new ideas and a new direction on certain things. And to be honest, I like it that way. I don't want to just, be incredibly comfortable and, you know, relaxed. And I think, I think that's how you get a little complacent. So I like the challenges on a day-to-day basis. Let's talk about the challenge of deciding content when it comes to topics, picking guests, what audio you're going to use, developing features, you know, in a terrestrial radio station, a national network, you kind of know what the hits are, but you're talking about sports betting content. A hit may not necessarily be the, game-winning touchdown in, you know, on Monday night football. So how do you guys arrive at what you're going to lead with? Who fits subjects? So this is interesting because these are the kind of uh, debates and I don't want to say arguments, but this is the stuff that we go back and forth with because while that's true that different things matter and technically I can bet just as much on a Calgary Flames game as I can the Super Bowl, right? But if you look at the data from sports books and I flag this every time I see it, the most bet games are the biggest games. That's the majority of the public bet. Now 
the one off the top of my head, I remember one sports we put out last year, the top 10 most bet games in college football were nine bowl games and Michigan against Ohio state. So what I tell people here and I try to reinforce is you're still talking about the same games basically as if you were on a regular sports talk station. Now you're not going to go down some of the debate roads and, you know, you may not care as much about, you know, okay, Anthony Davis might get traded, you know, on, on my old show and other things, that's your lead story. On a betting network, that really isn't. There's not a lot of tangible betting information you can do with that. But, you know, Monday Night Football got a huge handle last night because that's the only game on, so that's what's going to happen. So I still try to reinforce that the biggest games are what people are betting on, and that's what we should be talking about. Now, where the difficulties that we run into here at VEASAN, which because we are a very high level of sports betting, is that that is not always where the value is to a better a really hardcore better will find way more value betting on a Mac football game on a Tuesday night than they will on Texas against uh, TCU this weekend, because the bigger the game, the more the books know the handle is going to be. So they have to get that game particularly right. So there's always a little bit of a struggle with that. What I always tell people is you can give out that pick for the Akron on uh, Mac football on a Tuesday night. But the discussion, the long discussion, needs to be about TCU against Texas. What's interesting, I'm thinking as you're talking about that, like if you go back over the last two weeks, you go on TV and radio, you're going to find every network is talking about the Kyrie Irving situation. You guys, it only matters because how does this affect the Nets and their ability to either cover the spread or win a game or lose a game? And so you you may look at it and go, okay, if I was on a main channel, main TV network, I'm going to talk about if Kyrie's a good guy, bad guy. For you guys, you have to go a deeper layer, and you have to look at what does this information mean if I'm going to put money on a game. You do, and it's you have to kind of, from coming from the world I come from, you have to kind of turn that part of your brain off of like, all right, what can I come up with for Kyrie that no one said? And now it's like, yeah, who cares, right? What are the betting? (laughs) So that's where you have to come in with, Okay, so obviously, yeah, probably not going to bet on the Nets tonight if they're going through all this. But, okay, is there, you look at all the markets, is there value on different teams to win the Atlantic Division? Is there values on another team to win the Eastern Conference? Do you start just, hey, I'm just going to keep fading the Nets every night because you never know when they're going to have these blowups. So there is a lot more discussion that comes from those stories. And that's that That's that kind of um, fence you have to straddle of. We're not going down the route of, I'm going to blast Kyrie. I'm going to do, because to a betting network, no one really cares. Right. Right. But you also can't ignore it because it's a top story. So you have to find ways to come up with a content, you know, come up with content or a segment or an article, whatever, whatever we're doing here. um, Talking about those different angles. Sometimes it can be tough, right? Sometimes it's, and, and listen, we have some shows that are going to drift a little bit into sports talk. You know, we're not, we're not a network that says don't talk about anything unless it's betting related. I think it's, no, how do you take those topics and fold them into betting? And I think we do a pretty good job of that. And that's that's really where you have to kind of dig in and figure out different angles to say. How does your mindset with choosing talent get affected by this? Because when you're talking to people here, they got to prove that they have a passion to bet or they understand the lingo. Are they finding the right information? That, you know, if you, you put a guy on who's giving out bets and he – He's lost 95% of his bets. You're going to have a hard time sticking with that guy in a five-day-a-week spot. 
like when you're looking at talent, people asking you for work, how does that influence your decision making? So first of all, there are a lot of people getting into the space that are getting into the space because they know that's the way a lot of the, the market is heading. But that's not necessarily to say they really are passionate or into sports betting. I'll be honest with you. I don't generally look at someone's record because it can be misleading. Guys can bet a lot of underdogs or a lot of long shots and have a losing record, but they actually are profitable. And some of the, I mean, this is a business where the sharpest guys I've come across are wrong 46% of the time. So I don't, I try not to get caught up in that. He said this, he said that what we try to look for is, do you have that passion for sports betting? Is it, is it something you really care about? I get fascinated by line movement and what the book is trying to do and get you to do. And so I look for people that have that kind of interest. It's not just, oh, I like picking games, right? Do you find fascination in why things move, why they place things a certain way, inside information? You know, you just, you want people to have that passion. That's the number one. Then secondly, I, you know, I do want to make sure they have that intelligent level of handicapping. That doesn't always mean you're right. It means your information was used properly. And we do want to find some of that. And then on another level, I also, you know, you have to be able to put together a good broadcast. And that's always the difficulty we find here. There are a lot of really sharp betters, but I don't always want to listen to them for three hours. Yep. So that's a tough thing to find because I don't, we don't want just guys who are, you know, hey, I, I can find a really sharp guy who can put together a few picks and we can email them out to people. That's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for a deeper discussion. So you try to find people that can have really intelligent conversations, can be interesting on the air, personable. We'll admit they're, you know, anyone who's, oh, I always win. And if they lose, it's because someone got hurt. You know, we ignore that stuff, right? I want guys that are like, holy hell, I got that game wrong. That's fun to me. So I, we try to find a lot of that. I think when I first got here, there was a lot of sharp handicappers, but we were looking at, we need to up the the broadcast value a little bit. So let's bring in a few guys that can probably, that know betting that can tee up our analysts, right? I don't, I don't need an analyst necessarily that can always host. I can have someone tee you up. I just want to have that intelligent high level conversation. So finding talent is difficult. I just did a huge kind of talent search. I'm always kind of looking, but we did kind of a presentation where we went through people and it, it is tough to find because there's a lot more people in the space now and not all of them are right for Visa. Well, and then the other part of this is you have to be on video. You're on TV. You're not just a radio host where some people could be great on radio, not good on TV. Some people are good on TV, but can't talk for three hours on radio. So that has to complicate your search, I'm sure, a little bit too, right? Well, it does, but there's also the, you know, are you good for 90 seconds? Are you good for 12 minutes? Are you good for two hours, right? There's a lot of people that can be fantastic, kind of similarly the way people in TV used to be. And then they'd, you know, you worked at ESPN just like I did a while ago, you know, people would come from TV to radio and they'd always kind of go like, Oh my God, talking for 10 minutes is way harder than I thought it was. I'm used to talking for 90 seconds, reading a teleprompter that happens in sports betting too. A lot of people, their content is, I put my pick out on Twitter and I spend a minute or two talking about it. That's not what we do, right? We do long form, you know, our, our clock is a radio clock. Our segments are 11 or 12 minutes. And that's a whole different challenge for a lot of people. So 
there are people that can be on camera. That's not an issue for a lot of them. But I do look at people that have that background in long forms. An example, one of our hosts is Dave Ross. You know, he's TV guy, very, you know, TV host, used to be a reporter in Washington. But one of the things that appealed to me is he had done radio. So he had done long conversations before. Okay, I got to talk to my partner for 12 minutes here about one topic. And we don't have a guest or we don't have a piece of sound or whatever. So I want people that have done that before because that's a that's a challenge. And some people can do it and some people can't. Let's talk about the design of the shows. You've got some that run longer than others, like obviously Follow the Money is your morning show. They've got some solid TV distribution. But you've got a lot of shows on your network. Some are two hours. Some are one hour. What's the overall thinking in is short better for TV and long is better for radio? How do you make that make sense where – the radio side feels good. The TV side feels good. And you don't have a staff of 200 people you got to manage. Yeah, we, we've done some different things in the not even two years that I've been here. Um, right now, none of our shows for, the, for really are under two hours. We have one show that within a show is an hour, but it's kind of, you know, it's the same two hosts. Um, I personally like longer shows. I think one hour shows, you know, I, I think we, we have struggled with that in the past. Of Well, we're a TV network and TV shows are shorter, but we're on radio network and radio shows are longer. So what do we do? And I think that's I think why a lot of the shows have ended up being two hours, which is kind of that middle ground. Um, I always lean to, you know, I like longer shows because I like I don't want it to be complicated. I want someone when they come to VEASAN to know exactly who's going to be on. They, I, I think people come to shows for the hosts, first and foremost, right? You have a connection to these people. You listen to them on your way home or your way to work or every day when you work out on a podcast, whatever. I think you want that connection and you want to know who's going to be on. So I like finding the better combinations, finding better shows and stretching them out. Now, I think that line is probably, you know, two hours after two hours is pretty long for TV. Um, but I you know, follow, like you mentioned, Follow the Money is is a successful TV product for us, and it's a three hour show. And i I think I think a lot of if you look across the market, a lot of shows have sort of are are stretched out, right? First take two hours, and I'm talking about sports TV show talk shows. Uh, Undisputed's two and a half, Collins three. I think a lot of shows, you know, the 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 PTIs and around the horns nowadays, I think are kind of rare. You know, I don't think you get a lot of those short shows anymore. So it's something we struggle with. I think ultimately what we looked at is we have a radio clock. We have nice studios, but there are somewhat radio studios with cameras. Now they're a little more into it than, you know, it's not your local radio where you stick a camera in a, in a old radio studio, but that's mainly what they are. So we were able to kind of push and I think eliminating some of those one hour shows so that the shows could kind of build more momentum, have more conversation the hosts would be more um, acclimated to each other, build more chemistry. I think it's worked out really well for us. When I started uh, monitoring VEASAN early on, it was on Sirius XM. And since then, the brand has grown a lot. You know, you've got TV partnerships now with Nesson, Marquee, MSG, YouTube TV. You guys have radio clearance now in Denver on Altitude Sports. Jacksonville with 1010XL. I know you just did the uh, HD2 deal in Seattle with Hubbard Radio. As you look at it, since you got in there, how do you feel about the brand's progress during the time you've been there? And what do you feel is the next step? 
you know, I'm happy with the progress we've made uh, right around when I joined when we left Syria. So that was a little concerning um, just because a lot of people, that's where they found us. But, you know, I think one of the important things is the way our industry is shaped now is you just need to be on a lot of different platforms because people are going to listen the way they want to listen or watch the way they want to watch. And it's very difficult to change that within a person. You just have to be there for them, whichever way they want to consume you. And I think we've been able to grow in a lot of different directions, you know, not being on serious. Yeah, it sucks. It's great to be on serious, but it's allowed us to do far more of these terrestrial deals and we've expanded and we've done a really good job of getting on into some, not just big markets, but key markets, right? Denver is in Colorado. It's a huge betting state. It's really desirable for betting providers. So that's been big for us. Being on YouTube TV is huge. You know, that's another way where people can get us. You know, we're on iHeart, which is big so that people can find us on there. So it has allowed us, I think, on a higher level to expand into different areas. And that's been big for us. And, you know, I, I our radio growth has been great. I'm very happy with the things we've added. I think that will continue to grow at a pretty high rate. Um, And visually, I mean, yeah, I I think we want to get, you know, we're on YouTube TV. We're in the sports package that you get right now, which everybody gets now because it's, it's involved. You have red zone. You got to get red zone, right? You got to get red zone. So we're in that. And I, I know our, our ratings within that package are second to only red zone, which I'm very proud of. I think it's all right. How do we get that channel on other places? You know, how do we get it on where it's not behind a little additional paywall? Um, can we do other TV distribution deals on an affiliate uh, on a local level? Right. Our, our morning show is on Nesson and Marquee and AT&T Pittsburgh and uh, Sportsnet LA. So it gets huge distribution. Are there more things like that? So I like being able to grow in all these different directions so that we are touching new audiences all the time, right? People stumble upon us on radio in Denver, find us on TV in Boston. You know, if we, our podcast network has kind of grown and we've been able to build a lot of followers through that. So I like kind of growing into all those different areas. Let's talk about that because if you're in a radio building, usually you look at, okay, what are the ratings? Is this, talent bringing in revenue and you it's pretty cut and dry how things are measured and whether or not they're performing well. And we all know the system is a sham and you've got to deal with it, but that's, that's usually what it is. But now you're in a world where you may look at it and go, man, we did really well on TV, but radio didn't do well that day. Social didn't do well. Podcast didn't do well. And then the next day TV was terrible, but all these other spaces did well. So when you're measuring, you know, the hardest part I got to I got to believe from your world is you're talking to talent or producers or even up above. Hey, is this working? Well, what is the definition of working if we're an everything brand? And by the way, that's not just you guys. Even ESPN, the Foxes of the world are in all these spaces. And so sometimes you have hits like you guys have a really healthy social media following on Twitter. Some of your video views there might trump how many people watch a show that day. Is that not a hit? So how do you guys decide what is and isn't a success? Well, yeah. Anytime you deal with something on a network level like we are, there's no perfect answer to that, right? Because like you said, there's so many different – even working on Colin's show, you know, we'd get the – TV ratings, and this is what spoils a radio guy working in TV. You get the ratings the next day, and you're like, it's like Christmas, you know? Yep. So even though they could have gone up, it's election day, right? 
So everyone's ratings are down the shitter on TV because if you're in front of your TV, you're watching CNN. But that doesn't mean your show wasn't good. Right. So, you know, you can get caught up in a lot of that. I mean, we look at a bunch of things. We are we do have a subscription service. If our subscriptions are going up on some level, what we're doing is working. More people are hearing or seeing the content going, I want more of that. I'm going to pay for it to do that. So that's one way we can tell. Obviously, podcasts, you can look at downloads. You can look at, you know, things like that. You know, radio, yeah, there's not a ton that we can do with radio because certain local affiliates may not share their ratings info, you know, down the line and send it back to us. TV, we get some feedback, you know, we're happy. You know, I know I've looked, I've seen some uh, some ratings from Nesson that we're doing that, you know, are, are great. Um, I think a lot of it just has to be, are you, are you seeing growth on social and on subscriptions? A lot of it, you know, Jason, is just like, I can, is this content good? Like I can, you know, I, I feel like we have a lot of smart people in here that are a pretty good judge of if this content is good. If this is in, if I hear a segment and it's a highly intelligent, interesting discussion around sports betting, I know we're doing a good job, right? Whether it lands or whether it doesn't with certain people, you know, you can go crazy with some of that. I remember uh, this was in San Francisco when I worked for you. We had Clay's dad on, Michael Thompson. We had him on and he's talking about clay and he's talking trash. Like it was a great segment. And I remember seeing the ratings after it and it did nothing. And we had some <laughs> random football writer on that. I that was just totally like an emergency guest where I was just like, I hope JB doesn't catch this one. He's going to be mad at me. And that like tripled what Michael Thompson did, you know, or it was, it was a huge number. And so I, I, that's kind of when I learned, like you can go insane doing segment by segment by segment. I think you just overall have to present a really high level product. I feel like I've kind of been able to help do that with raising the floor a little bit on some things, guys, let's not talk about this. Let's stick to the NFL. Let's not have this guest on doing some of those kind of things. And then I think you just, you just kind of know that, okay, some of this stuff is working from a, from a programming standpoint of this stuff is working. I know it's good. Whether it gets to certain people in some ways is out of my control. I can't make an affiliate take our stuff. All I can do is make it as good as possible and make it so if that GM or that program director listens to it, they go, ah, you know, I don't mind. I can put that on. That's better than a lot of the network stuff that, that are my other options. So why not go with betting? Let's talk about the appetite. You know, you've got Sports Grid went on radio. You got FanDuel doing some TV. BetQL's obviously uh, doing radio too. Do you think there's enough appetite out there? for all these sports betting brands to thrive. And I'm talking probably more in the radio space because I think what we've touched on, social, video, podcast, there's so many different spaces. The, the world's littered with sports shows and news shows. You can find anything you want. But in the radio space, like we were both in San Francisco, there's an all sports betting network on on the old KGO signal. Will that deliver enough audience there to be sustainable? I don't know. From your vantage point, what do you think? So the appetite's still growing, you know, and you mentioned California, not legal yet. Texas, not legal yet. It'll be a while. There's still plenty of states that haven't even legalized sports betting that likely will over the next few years. So that will increase the appetite. And ultimately, as long as there are casinos and sports books that are willing to sponsor this content, which they are, because they're the beneficiary, right? You you bet with them. There's a huge appetite for it. And I think I think what we do here at Vison will actually become more valuable because you're right. There is all of these different channels and 
so many people providing betting content. So I think right now there might be an oversaturation or we might be getting to that soon. But eventually what happens is people start to kind of wise up and learn what's the higher level of content, what isn't. And I think some of that other stuff will kind of fade away over time. I also think that there's space because a lot of these networks, you know, from a radio standpoint, right? A lot of these sports networks, I don't know that they put as much uh, time and care into some of their maybe night and weekend programming. And I think, yeah, you can take some of these sports networks and take their Saturday stuff and it's fine. Or you can take betting content from a place like ours and you can probably actually sell that, right? Because there are betting, betting providers are going to want to attach their money to some of this betting content. So I think the, the, yes, there's a lot, there's a lot of betting stuff out there. Um, but people are really into sports betting. And I think it's not, you know, it still works on a lot of levels. Even if you're not a huge sports better, you know, it's still talking about sports and talking about the outcomes of games and still interesting. It's not as if, if you don't bet, you can't possibly listen to some of this stuff. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get how some people probably feel like, wow, I, there's a lot of this stuff out there, but there are so many states that haven't even gone legal yet. There's so many people that, you know, haven't even really gotten into betting yet that are starting to, as they understand it more, they're going to crave, crave more content for it. I think it will only just keep evolving. Of the states that haven't went legal yet, like you mentioned, it'll be a while on Texas. If you had a handful that you thought are realistic in the future to embrace it, are there any that you're keeping your eye on that, you know, jump off the top of your head? Look, I mean, California, right? I mean, that's that's the big one. Now, listen, it could be because I lived there for I don't know, six, seven years, and it's uh, I could be in California if I left right now in 40 minutes. But um, it, that's the that's the big one, right? You have major markets, huge population, um, ton of money. I mean, that's the one that I think everyone's kind of waiting to fall and see how they evolve into it. I would expect every betting content provider is kind of keeping their eye on what's going on there and how we can get in there and how we can get those customers to come to our product because it's such a massive domino to fall. Now, listen, I mean, some of these states, you re- what you realize is a lot of these people are betting, um, but I, I do think there's there's even more of an appetite, right? Because the biggest market in the state, right? The second biggest market in the country is LA. That's a drivable distance to Vegas. And as someone who lived there and drove to Vegas quite frequently, there, you know, there's a lot of people there that are conditioned that know sports betting, that are conditioned for sports betting, that regularly pay attention to this stuff. So I think once once California falls, that's going to be just the biggest. Now that obviously New York is has been has been done, that's that's the big one. I'm going to hit you with one final thing here because now you've been in the programmer's role, and there are going to be people listening to this who are PDs themselves or thinking about going into the world of management. One lesson you've learned the last two years about managing up because you have an interesting thing. You've got Bill Lady, you've got Brian Musburger, and now you have a new GM and Len Mead. You got to sell up ideas and talk through strategy. And you got to have three people part of that process and get their buy-in. So what's one lesson you've learned while, while going through that process that someone listening to this who might go through a similar thing in the future can learn from? It's a pretty obvious one, but I, I do think it's it's come into play pretty prominently for me. It's just picking your battles, right? You, you can't be the guy. Maybe you disagree with this because you kind of are this guy. 
You oh, can't I love the battle. I'll constantly anyone. be banging down the door. I need this. I need this. I need this. And I know you've probably done that. Um, no, I have, but, but I, I think, also know when to fall on the sword and say, listen, we'll live to fight another day. Right. And and I think the difference is with those three people who I, I mean, I love working for all three of them and have tremendous respect for them. You know, they are all very different, right? Len, my, you know, GM comes from a content and broadcasting world. Brian Musker, who started this company as just like an idea of this, would be, we should do this, you know, which is incredible. Um, you know, he comes from, he's more of an, you know, he was an agent. He comes from that world. Bill 80, hardest working guy I've ever met. He's from the newspaper world. So different ideas that you have land, or excuse me, the same idea lands very differently to all three of them. So a, a lot of it is just understanding how to make your pitches and understanding when, okay, th- this isn't going to work. I'm not going to fall on my sword for, I really want to, you know, spend a few bucks on this, or I really want to do this piece of content, you know, save that because I've, because I'm not constantly beating the door down. Hey, I got an idea for this betting competition I want to do. And it really stood out as like, well, if Goulet is coming to us with this idea, he doesn't come to us with, a, you know, new, I, I'm not constantly coming up with all the stuff we have to try. So we've been able to do some of those things have kind of landed better. So I, I would advise people to, to pick, pick your battles with the, with the people above you, because eventually you're just going to run out of ammo. I mean, I, I don't know if I should be giving anyone advice, but uh, that's, that's what I would go with. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at sports radio PD or read his columns on Barrett sports